Hey, Milton Bible Church, it's awesome to be with you today. My name is Mark Strickland, and I was a youth pastor here at this church in the early 2000s, and so I know many of you are friends. I wish I could see you in person, but, we, but I can't uh, because of the pandemic. However, it's so good to be here through this medium, and if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, hopefully one day in the future we can do that live again. Well, I don't know if you know this, but in the history of the Billboard Top 100 Songs of All Time, there is only one song featuring exclusively Bible lyrics that's ever hit the number one spot. Let me repeat that. In the history of the Billboard music charts, only one song featuring exclusively lyrics from the Bible has ever hit the number one spot in the Billboard charts history. Do you know what song that is? I'll give you a minute to think about it. It's not Chris Tomlin. It's not even a worship song. It's not Justin Bieber or Chance the Rapper. You give up? All right, well, the song was originally written by American folk musician Pete Seeger, and it was popularized by a band called The Birds. It's called Turn, 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 and it hit the number one spot in December of 1965. That's like over 55 years ago now. And I know some of you are like, wait a second, I remember when that song came out. Don't worry, don't worry, it's not that long ago, okay? It's all good. For those of you who don't know the song, maybe you've heard it in a movie like Forrest Gump. It was uh, popularized there. Uh, but, you know, you could always go on the TikToks or the Spotify or wherever you kids get your music and look up the song, Turn, Turn, Turn. But for your benefit, I'm going to sing a line from it for you today. Here we go. For everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to, okay, okay, I'm not going to sing the whole thing for you today because I don't want your ears to bleed, but that is the song, turn, turn, turn. And uh, the Bible passage that this song quotes almost exclusively through the whole song comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. And the main point of Ecclesiastes 3 and the part of scripture we're going to look at is this. To everything there is a season, and in every season God is at work. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open up and let's have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. I want to start by asking you this question. What season are you in right now? What season are you in? Are you younger? Are you older? Are you doing well? Do you have a good job? Have you lost your job? Are you a student? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you angry at people, at businesses, at God? What season are you in? All of us are in a season. Let's keep going in this passage this morning. We're going to look at the first part of the next verse. It says, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to be born and a time to die. You know, all of us are somewhere on this spectrum between birth and death. We all know our birth, but we don't know when our death will be. All of us are in a season. 
I brought with me this hourglass today, and I kind of like it because I think it can help us visualize seasons of life. Each grain of sand is kind of like a season of life that you or I may be in, somewhere between birth and death. You know, some of you might be in the season of life of parenthood, and all of us have been in the season and are always going to be in the season of being a kid because we are a kid to someone no matter what age we are. I was reading a blog recently, and the author had an interesting perspective. He had done some research and stuff, and he determined that 90% of the time that a parent will get to spend with their kid and a kid will get to spend with their parent is between the ages of 0 and 18. 90% of the time, parents and kids will spend together is between uh, the ages of 0 and 18, and after that, it's only about 10% of the rest of their lives that they'll have to spend together. I mean, it kind of makes sense because we raise our kids and we want to send them off. But often, as a parent, it can feel like uh, a season will last for forever. You know, I remember when my son Riley, uh, who's 12 now, when he was born, he, we were at the hospital with him. You know, we were there a couple days. The nurses were great. They showed us how to take care of him and stuff. Wendy already knew that stuff, but I had to learn, of course. And I remember this one morning they came in and said, okay, it's time to go home. And we're like, wait, already? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you got to go. And so we packed him up, and I remember I'm holding him in his little car seat and thinking, like, are they insane to trust me to take this little puking, pooping machine home and care for him and make sure he grows up to be a man, grows up to be a good person in society, grows up to be someone who loves the Lord? That was a scary season, and it felt like, to be honest, that season would last for forever. But as parents, we know that's not always true, is it? We know that there will be a last baby that we take home from the hospital. We know that there will be a last day that we drop our kid off for their first day of kindergarten. There'll be a last time we sit down with our kids to watch Paw Patrol, a last time we take them to hockey or to dance or to kids' church or to youth group, a last time your daughter falls in the mom's arms after the heartache of a breakup, the last time you drop your 18-year-old off to college or university. And the question I have for you is, in this season of parents and kids doing time together, how will you make every moment count, especially you parents? How will you make every moment count? How will you exemplify what it means to love Jesus to your kids in the 90% you have with them between the ages of zero and 18? Will you let hobbies, will you let other interests, will you let other idols that maybe you hold in your life get in the way of spending and investing that time into your kids' lives, that they would know the Lord, that they would love the Lord, and that they would grow to honor him? How are you making every moment count? There's only so many grains of sand. Now, some of you might be in the other end of life. Maybe you're in your silver years of life. I've been talking with some of my older friends, and over the years, many of them have said it can be a challenging time because it can feel like the best years of your life are behind you. It can feel like, you know, the things that you did for the Lord, if you were a Christian, um, you know, in your generation were amazing, and those days are now gone, and you're missing the good old days. I want to say this, as an approaching middle-aged pastor myself, I want to tell you, older generation, we need you. We desperately need you. 
We need the testimonies of what God did in your generation to inspire us to see God do amazing things in our generation, and you're still a part of this generation. It's amazing. We need your prayers. We need your encouragement, and we desperately need your time. Some of you folks who are retired have the time to give to the kingdom, the time to give to the church, like those of us who are working and raising families and thinking about jobs and future, we just don't have. How will you make every moment count in these silver years? Another question I have for you in whatever season of life you're in is how are you making every moment count for the gospel and for your gospel witness? A few years ago, I had the opportunity to help plant a church, a multi-site church, in a small town called Port Perry. And there was a lady in the congregation who had met Jesus in her 40s. And unfortunately, her husband did not also follow her in the faith. And for 20 years, she modeled what it meant to love Jesus for her husband. She showed him who Jesus was, both in her words and in her actions. And although she invited him to church, she invited him to explore the faith, over many years, he never really responded, sadly. Well, they retired and moved to a rural property, and six months into retirement, the husband had to go for heart surgery. And it was supposed to be a routine heart surgery, although we know that heart surgeries are serious and they're never, never ever really routine ones. But before he went into the uh, operating room, she had a chance to sit beside her husband, and he turned to her, and of his own will, he said, I think it's time that I met this Jesus that you've been telling me about for so many years. And in a beautiful moment, this wife was able to lead her husband to Christ before this operation. And for realsies, he met Jesus. Well, he went into the operation and tragically he didn't come out. He didn't make it through the surgery. But the good news of this thing that we call the gospel is that this husband met Jesus. For this husband, that wasn't the end. For this husband, he was now and is now in eternity with the Father. Literally in the last chapter of the last paragraph, of the last sentence, of the last word of this man's life, he met Jesus. Why? Because there was a wife who determined herself to make every moment count. There's only so many grains of sand. There's only so many seasons. Well, let's keep reading along in this passage here. Picking up in the second part of verse 2, we're going to read the next three lines of the poem. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. When I read these three lines, I see some similarities. On the one hand, I see these words, uproot, kill, and tear down. Uproot, kill, and tear down. And the question I have for you today is this. Are there sinful habits or idols in your life that God is calling you in this season to kill, uproot, or tear down? Are there things in your life that need to be killed, uprooted, or torn down? Over the years as a pastor, uh, I've often seen people meet Jesus. And it's amazing when someone meets Jesus, invites Christ into their life, so often, if I can give the analogy of your heart being like a home where Jesus lives, so often Jesus comes in and helps clean up the home. The home's a mess. You know, things are bad, habits are bad, sin's there, and Jesus comes and helps clean it up over a matter of weeks and months. But what can often happen in many of our lives is we still have this closet. 
don't we? we? We have this little closet or section of our heart where secret sin lives, where idols, things that we put ahead of God, reside, where destructive habits and practices are. And the question I have for you, is God calling you to deal with those things? Because if that's the case, don't wait for tomorrow to do what needs to be done today. Don't wait for tomorrow to do what needs to be done today. You know, Jesus talks to one of his churches, I believe it's in Revelation 2 or 3, and he says to one of them, he says, I know you, I know you have a good reputation, but inside you're dead. Inside, the closet's exploded into the rest of the house. And he says, turn, turn today. Turn back to me. For some of you, God is calling you today to kill, uproot, or tear down destructive things in your heart and in your life. Is that the season you're in? If that's the case, do it today. Don't wait for tomorrow to do what needs to be done today. There's only so many grains of sand. You know, on the other hand, when you look at these three lines, there's also these other words that stand out. There's these words, plant, heal, and build. Plant, heal, and build. And the question I have is this, are you in a season where Jesus is calling you to plant, heal, or rebuild spiritual disciplines or habits in your life? And here's what I mean, here's where I'm going with this. Back um, in March of 2020, all of us here in Canada, our lives were completely changed in a matter of a week by lockdowns and pandemic. An interesting thing happens because you may have had routines in your life um, that were totally upended and destroyed. For example, maybe you dropped the kids off at school, came home, and then you spent some time in God's Word. Maybe when you got to work or the office, the first five minutes of your day um, in the physical office space was spent in prayer or doing your devotions. Maybe you were able to make it to church almost every Sunday because that was your routine, that was your call to do. And in the matter of a week, all those things just got smashed and destroyed. And maybe for some of us, we were like, well, you know, this will be a couple weeks of lockdown, and then we'll be back to normal, back to the regular thing. You know, a month goes by, okay, it's a month, you know, it's coming. It's funny, back in November, I was looking at an email I sent someone in April. We were supposed to get together for lunch, and I said to them, hey, let's postpone till June when this whole pandemic thing is over and life is back to normal. Seems pretty funny now, because as you know, June came along and the pandemic was still here. And of course, September came along, the pandemic was still here. Winter, Christmas came along, pandemic was still here. And here we are today, and the pandemic's still here. And for some of us, perhaps we've been drowning, or we've been just treading water in our spiritual habits and disciplines. And I'm wondering if God's calling some of you to a season to plant, to build, and to grow new spiritual disciplines and habits in your life. To move from a place of drowning, to treading water, to thriving, to Michael Phelps Olympic swimming in your faith with Jesus. What season are you in? Is God calling you to rebuild these things in your life? And if that's the case, don't wait for tomorrow to do what needs to be done today. Seek Jesus in these things, whether it's killing, uprooting sinful things, or whether it's rebuilding helpful spiritual disciplines and habits in your life and in your heart. Well, I want to keep moving along here and have a look at the next couple lines in the passage. Starting in verse 4, it says this, There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, 
a time to mourn and a time to dance. Weeping and mourning, laughing and dancing. 2020, man, 2021, it's been quite a ride. And for most of us, I know for me, this has been one of the most disruptive years of my life with all this COVID-19 stuff and pandemic and everything. And it hasn't always been easy. Now, before I go any further, I want to stop and recognize that there may be some of you watching who grew up maybe in environments, maybe in another country, where you've experienced things far more disruptive than COVID-19 in Canada in 2020 and 2021. Or maybe just your home environment you grew up in um, had challenges and struggles, and so you know what it is to live through a difficult life. And I just want to pause and say, we honor you, we thank you, and we know that you've modeled an example of what it means to persevere under much difficulty, and we have much to learn from you in this season. So with that in mind, it's still fair to say, though, I think, that for all of us, the pandemic has disrupted our lives. I was talking to my wife, Wendy, who is a teacher, and she loves her job. She's been teaching for many, many years, loves teaching. Um, but this year has been so different. This year, especially in the fall, you know, she went back to an environment that was hybrid learning. She was now teaching two classes at once, the online class on the Zoom call, plus at the same time, the live class in front of her. She was wearing two face masks. Um, she no longer had extracurricular things, and she loved being a part of the extracurricular activities. There was no longer opportunities to hang out with colleagues, and there was no uh, joy-filled conversations around the lunch table about the highs and lows of everyone's day. Wendy turned to me and she said, Mark, I really don't love teaching right now. This pandemic has stolen all of the joy. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in a season uh, of weeping and mourning things that are lost. Maybe you owned a restaurant and it's struggling or it hasn't been able to make it or a gym. Maybe you're an essential service worker. Thank you, by the way. But every single day, a challenge for you is you're faced with the reality of this pandemic at work. Maybe you've lost your job for other reasons in the circumstances of this pandemic. And I want to say this today. It's okay to feel the emotions of the season you're in. One of my favorite little verses of the Bible is John eleven thirty five. It says this, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The reason Jesus wept is because a friend of his had passed away. In a time of deep personal sadness for Jesus, he wept. And here's the thing. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are imitators of Christ. When he said, go and make disciples and teach them my way, part of that way is in this verse. Mourning. Jesus wept. And if it's okay for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to mourn in a time of deep sorrow and hardship and hurt, it's okay for you and I to feel the emotions of the season we're in, to weep over things that have been lost over the past year. Be those things like our job, be those things like even maybe feeling like our freedom. It's okay to weep over these things that we've lost over the last year. Now, I want to stop and say, uh, for some of us, maybe we have um, challenges or struggles with things like anxiety or depression or mental health, and that's okay. And I want to be clear to say that I don't believe God's calling us into kind of an ongoing season of lament and sorrow and crying. And so if that's you, definitely uh, get the help that you need uh, when you feel you need it. Um, counseling is an awesome thing that can really help 
um, for all of us. So that's important. But by and large, what I'm trying to get at is this. Sometimes there's a temptation to be very stoic in the face of challenges. And I just want to say to you, it's okay to feel those emotions. It's okay to be authentic and real with what you're going through and to invite Jesus into that season. Now, as we look at the other part of these two lines we read, we also see the words laughing and dancing. Laughing and dancing, what's that all about? Well, it's interesting. Over the last year, I've tried to, whenever I talk with someone one-on-one, ask them how they're doing, being very aware that it's a super unique year. And to my surprise, what I find is about half of the people I ask are like, yeah, it's a hard year, and there's you know, various ways that they've had challenges, some really big, some small. There's maybe like 30% of people that are kind of indifferent to the year. They're like, well, yeah, it's tough, but we're, we're getting through it. But there's about 20% of people who are like, Mark, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but things are going really well right now. Like, this has been a great year for me. Maybe that's you. Maybe you, you know, got into the mask business this year. Maybe you sell toilet paper. Maybe you're in hand sanitation industry. I don't know. A friend of mine, uh, the craziest story, he's a, a coffee guy, and he was able to start a successful coffee business. He literally started a restaurant in the middle of the pandemic, and it's going well. It's been successful. And what I have to say for you is this. If this is the kind of thing you're going through this year, if this is you, if it's the season you're in, then that's the season you're in. And it's okay. Actually, we need to celebrate when God shows his blessing to us, especially in a season where so many are struggling. And it's not to gloat or to, to show, show with everyone. Obviously, um, use your discretion in how you celebrate. But the truth is this. God is with us in every season. Jesus is with us when we're in the valley, in the struggle, when we're mourning, when we're weeping. And he's with us celebrating on the mountaintop. Feel the emotions of the season you're in. There's only so many seasons. There's only so many grains of sand. Well, I wish I had the time to run through the rest of this poem this morning, but for the sake of brevity, I'll sum up the rest of the next four verses by saying they describe the various kinds of seasons that you might find yourself in. And I encourage you to read them uh, later on today or this week. But where I do want to land us this morning is in verses 9 to 11, just after the poem ends. Let me read verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. It's kind of a downer, right? It's like very kind of sounding, meh. What do workers gain from their toil? Life's tough. God's laid a burden on the human race. Listen, if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, You'll know Ecclesiastes is kind of a weird book, and this kind of represents the tone of the book. You know, it's part of the wisdom literature of Scripture. So Proverbs, for example, is another part of the wisdom literature. But in Proverbs, it's kind of like this. It's like, hey, if you do this thing, generally, this really good, amazing thing will happen because you did the right thing. Ecclesiastes is like the opposite. It's like, hey, you can do the right thing generally. You can go and, you know, do whatever you're supposed to do and what God's called you to do. But time and chance could destroy all of that, and all of it might not matter. The opening lines of Ecclesiastes, uh, one of the first verses says this, Meaningless, meaningless, declares the teacher. Everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. 
We believe Ecclesiastes is the wisdom of Solomon. It wasn't written specifically by Solomon, but it was written by someone who knew of Solomon. And this word meaningless that shows up in the first chapter, in the Hebrew, it actually is this word havel. And what it actually means is like smoke or vapor. And it's almost like the author is saying, the wisdom of Solomon is saying, smoke, vapor. Everything is smoke and vapor. It's like chasing after the wind. Just when you think you're going to get it, just when you think it's taking shape or form, it's gone. Many have said the book of Ecclesiastes, the main point of it might be life without, uh, or life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. However, I believe when you really dig into Ecclesiastes, it's kind of like opening a present on Christmas morning or putting a puzzle together. And what you see emerge from the text isn't life is meaningless, but it's this, life without God, maybe brackets without God, but life without God is meaningless. And here is the amazing thing about that. If life without God is meaningless, then that means life with God is everything. It's everything. And so the passage goes on to say this in verse um, 11. It says, he, that's God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. One of the cool things when we think about what Jesus did for us when he died for our sin, when we asked Jesus into our heart, is he forgives us and he redeems us. And in this life, we are being sanctified. That's the theological word for like uh, growing in our walk with Jesus and becoming more like Jesus, right? We are being redeemed and we join Jesus in redemption. But here's the cool thing is when Jesus died on the cross, he also died to set in motion redemption for all of creation so that there would be a moment when everything would be made beautiful in its time. And as followers of Christ, we get to join Jesus in this redemption bringing, in this kingdom work of bringing the light of the good news of the gospel of who Jesus is to the world. We get to join Jesus in making everything beautiful in its time. And one day we will sit in heaven, we will sit in eternity, and we will see how God takes every moment every season and makes it beautiful the ones that are up on the mountain but also the ones that are in the valley i love this next part of the verse it says he also has set eternity in the human heart he also has set eternity in the human heart this reminds me a lot of john three sixteen. maybe it's a foreshadow or something like that for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. He has set eternity in the human heart. That's good news for us today. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. Some of you may be reading this or hearing this and going, okay, that's fine. Um, God will make everything beautiful in its time. But you don't understand, Mark. You, don't, you can't fathom what I'm going through in my life. You can't fathom the challenges. You can't fathom all that life has thrown at me. And here's what I'd say with, to you. God's word actually agrees with that sentiment. God's word actually agrees with you. Literally, read the next verse here. It says there's this in verse 11, the last part. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. No one can fathom the plans of God. We just can't. We shouldn't even try. The Bible tells us, don't even try to fathom God's 
plans. But here's what we can comprehend. Here's what we can understand. God is with us in every season, and in every season, God is at work. God loves you. God knows you. He knows your circumstance. He died on the cross for you. God is for you, and he's with you in whatever season you're in. So we're going to end today where we began with a couple questions. What season are you in right now, and how is God at work? What season are you in right now, and how is God at work? Perhaps one of the things we talked about from the poem hit home. Maybe this idea of making every moment count. Maybe with your kids, if you're a parent. Maybe with your time, if you're a senior or in your older years. Maybe in your gospel witness, making every moment count. Or maybe uh, when we were looking at this part of the scripture that talked about not waiting for tomorrow to do what needs to be done today. About uprooting and killing uh, the sin and broken things in your life. About rebuilding spiritual disciplines. Maybe, maybe that's something God's speaking to you. Maybe that's a season that God's calling you to. Or feeling the emotions of the season you're in. Maybe you've just struggled to be real. Maybe you've tried to keep your brave faith on, faiths on. Hopefully we have our brave faith on all the time, but maybe you've been trying to keep your brave face on through this pandemic, and God's saying, it's okay, child. It's okay to shed a few tears. It's okay to feel what's going on. Or maybe you've been like really downplaying it, you know, because you see it, what everyone else is going through, and you're just having a great year. And I want to say, feel the emotions of that. Celebrate. Allow the Lord to, uh, to work in your heart and celebrate with him in that. Feel the emotions. But here's what I know. God is with us in every season, and in every season, whatever season you're in, God is at work. Invite him to come and work in your season today. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, uh, we're just so thankful, God, for Milton Bible Church, for all the members and the, the people who are listening in today, Lord, and what you're doing in their lives. Lord, I, I think back on this church, God, and collectively, you've given this church, Milton Bible Church, so many amazing seasons. What a rich history of season after season where you've walked with this church, Lord. And we know, God, that you will walk not only with the church as a whole, but with each person who's a part of the church, God. So would you meet each person in the season they're in? Would you reveal whatever you need to reveal, Holy Spirit, today from your word? God, would you go before us this week? We love you and we thank you that you're with us at all times. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again, church. It's so awesome to have been with you. Uh, Wendy sends her love. That's my wife. And I meant to mention off the top, but we have three kids now. We've got Riley, 12, Georgia, 9, and Aubrey, 6. And I can't wait for the day that, again, we can get back together and I can introduce you to them. God bless you. See you later.